Would you open God's precious holy word? John chapter 11. We've come to verse 17. This is the second of three messages on Christ's raising Lazarus from the grave. We saw earlier last time that Lazarus died for the glory of God. The message came to Christ that Lazarus was deathly ill and Christ waited two days. Then, of course, he began to make his way. Understand, this is Saturday before Passover in the middle of the next week. Saturday before Christ will be crucified on the next Friday. This is the last public miracle that Christ will perform. He is with his disciples. They have just come from that situation where the Jewish leaders were trying to stone him to death and, and kill him. In the overall context, when you take the four gospels together, you will see that his disciples were very anxious and they were wanting to get Jesus away from Jerusalem, the crowded city. People were already coming in for Passover. Thousands and thousands of people coming daily. Christ does everything just right. This, this, this event, this situation is just right. It's God ordained. Because there won't be a bigger crowd in Jerusalem until the next Passover time. Christ's disciples have ignored the teaching of Jesus to his disciples that he would be crucified and die. They just skirted right over that. They were honestly expecting that he would establish, he was about to establish his kingdom. Of course, the next day from raising Lazarus would be the triumphal entry on the donkey. So it seemed that everything was working out perfectly, but the disciples still need teaching and even illustration that they don't really understand. And they won't really grasp it or understand it until after the resurrection of Christ. So all of this is, is moving together into the opportune moment where Christ can give at this point in, in the presence of men his greatest display of power, of deity. 
Even the other two who had been raised from the dead could not compare to this. Because of the situation. Hand me that iPad. Would you, that iPad right there? I've just had an epiphany. And my daddy says, if you do, you'll clean it up. I want to read something here in just a second after we get into the scripture. So this was perfect. Thousands and thousands of people, they're, they're on the Jericho Road, on the Jericho Road. They're on the Jericho Road from Jerusalem to Bethany. It's about two miles, 15 stadia, that's about two miles. Therefore, having come, Jesus found him, having already been in the tomb four days. Now, I want you to, you may or may not like this. I operate with a sixth grade boy's mind. And to me, this is neat. If I can get to it here, it's somewhere. Trust me. There it is. I want you to meet Lazarus. After the heart stops beating, the body immediately starts turning cold. This phase is known as alger mortis. Sounds like one of my aunts. Um, she's gone through all the mortises. <laughs> Each hour, the body temperature falls 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit until it reaches room temperature. At which point? All of the uncirculating blood, all the blood that's not now circulating, starts to pool and settle in the lower part of the body to where the gravity pulls it. The body stiffens, and that's known as rigor mortis. So you move from algor mortis to rigor mortis. About two to six hours after death, it continues to cool until it reaches room temperature. While the body as a whole is dead, there are little things in the body that still live. Your skin cells at that point, or skin cells at that point, are still, and this is my word, juicy enough, to be viably harvested for up to 24 hours after death. And so the bacteria and the organisms that are already in your body go to work. It leads to putrefaction, putrefaction, just a minute, putrefaction, I thought it was putrefaction, putrefaction, or decomposition of the body, where little organisms that live in the intestines go to work. A few days after death, these bacteria and enzymes start the process of breaking down the body. The pancreas is so full of so many bacteria that it essentially digests itself very quickly. As these organisms work their way to other organs, the body becomes discolored, first turning green, then purple, then black. You can't see the change, but you can smell it. 
because the bacteria create, create an awful smelling gas. All of that is within 72 hours. That's three days. The gas causes the body to bloat. Ah, that's what my problem is. I'm dead. <laughs> I thought it was that stuff I ate too much of. The eyes bulge out of their sockets and the tongue swells and protrudes out of the mouth. I'm not going to go any further. I can if you want me to. But I wanted you to meet Lazarus. He is a mess. The stinking, you know, down what verse 39, on down there anyway. Um, I'll forget it if I don't put it back where it came from. Thank you, sir. The stinking starts at 72 hours. Now, it was a rather humid environment, an arid environment, dry and hot. And somewhere in those four days, the body begins to burst. Well, it's just awful. This guy has been dead for four days. They've sealed the tomb. And Jesus has just arrived. I want to be graphic enough for us to appreciate the power that Jesus is about to display. We won't get to that part till next week, God willing. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about 15 stadia. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. They had to deal with death quickly. It's harsh. You know, today people die, they go through the embalming process, and the family has a little time to sort of settle down, and people come to see. Well, not so here. Because of what happens to the body not being able to be embalmed, the best they can do is wrap it tightly with, with uh, bandages, with wrappings, and then anoint it with some kind of fragrant oil and then put it into the grave. Now, the grave in this case, they would carve out a, a cave in the side of a hill, and then they would carve out some kind of rock or stone to just put, it, put over it. And that's the best they could do. So... Immediately, the word gets out everywhere. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus obviously were very popular in their village, but also understand that there were Jews on the road to, on the Jericho Road going into Jerusalem, Passover time, and people become sympathetic and empathetic, so other Jews would feel obligated to join these Jews. And after they would have entombed Lazarus, which would have been as quickly as possible after his death, the funeral itself would take would last seven days. This was according to Jewish tradition. Seven days. During that time, professional mourners, professional wailers, professional people who could cry. Huh. I think I dated a girl like that once. I don't know. Just knew how to cry, right? Anyway, there I was. 
these people come in. Well, let me tell you what happens when you see people really crying and it's just an emotional thing. You start wanting to cry. It's just kind of a contagious thing. And so, of course, the sisters were weeping probably uncontrollably. The friends from the village who loved Lazarus, they were all crying. And then there were these professional wailers who were really carrying on. And it was just a, it was a horrible, just an awful sight of grief. Now, things would calm down according to the tradition after a couple of days and people would begin to share eulogies. They would begin to share stories about their acquaintance, in this case, Lazarus. He was such a kind man. He did this for us when we had such a need. He looked after his sisters and I mean, all kinds of things would have been said about Lazarus. It was in the middle of all of that, four days into all of that, Christ came to Bethany, Jesus. So when Mary, when, I'm sorry, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, uh, what did I do with my clicker? There it is. Mary was the, the deep thinking quiet. She's the one who anointed the feet of Jesus with the oil, with her hair, rubbed it with it. Martha's the one who kind of scolded her because Martha was in the kitchen doing all of the work, you know. And Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. And Martha sort of, this is back in Luke uh, 10 or 11. Martha sort of scolds Mary for not helping her. And then Jesus sort of scolds Martha for putting the, the emphasis on the wrong things. She was learning. She was being discipled by the teaching of Jesus. So Martha is the busy, industrious one. Mary is quieter and more introspect. So Martha heard it first and she ran to meet Jesus. Mary is sitting in the house. Both are crying. All the funeral, the, funeral folk, the funeral folks are still crying. They're still upset. They're trying to tell each other great and wonderful things about Lazarus. Then Martha said to Jesus, remember? Irma Brombeck wrote a book once. If my life is a bowl of cherries, why am I always in the pits? That was the name of her book. Kind of like, you know, everybody's got a dark side. And Martha just, she's one of those people who, instead of saying, oh, great God in the flesh, son of God. Instead of saying that, she scolds him. I left my first church. I mean, I was, you were a baby. We didn't have you yet. It was such a, it was a wonderful experience. Great people. But I had this music guy. Oh, man. As I was pulling, I mean, I had already put the thing in drive. 
and was pulling off and he ran out and hit the door and I let the window down. This is what he said. You just should have visited more. That was the, that was the parting shot, right? From the guy who I was trying to get away from anyway. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, well, of course, Jesus knew Martha. He loved her. But I'm thinking, you know, oh, here comes Martha. <laughs> what was the first thing she says? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then she calms down a little bit. Nevertheless, even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection in the last day. Now you go back to John 5. And Jesus talks about how in the father, the son is life. And he said that there will be a resurrection and that they will hear his voice. And all who are in the graves will come out of the graves. That wonderful teaching is tweaked as you go through the scriptures. And we learn that there are two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. And in the resurrection, the resurrection of the just, we will be prepared and outfitted in bodies of glory to receive the blessing of God into eternity. And with the ability to bless God. But then, a thousand years later, is the great white throne and the resurrection unto damnation. And those people will be raised in bodies that will just die forever. They will be outfitted for punishment. Now, Martha has a fairly solid theology. She's an Old Testament saint. And she doesn't know all that, you know, Christ hasn't been crucified yet. He's not resurrected yet and all that. But she has a good grip on what Christ has been teaching. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's familiar with that teaching. There's sort of several things here. None of us is in control of our death. None of us. Not a single person is in control of how or when he dies, she dies. It's a sobering thought. We are we are in the bosom of an almighty sovereign God. He declared hardly a Hardly a day goes by, but what I don't beg God about how I want to die. If I just dropped right now preaching, you could shout hallelujah, okay? 
you know, reason for grief. I've asked him, just let me drop preaching. If I can't just drop while I'm preaching, just let me drop. I don't want to go through what my mama and my daddy had to go through. I always, I know that it's in God's hand. And I'm just very anxious for the Lord to listen to me. But you know what? It's out of my hand. However it happens, it will be to his glory. Period. This whole thing, Jesus said previously in what we looked at last time, this whole thing is to the glory of God. The death of Lazarus is to the glory of God. I know that he will raise up in the last day. I know that's coming. (coughs) Tetragrammatron. This is another of those where Jesus calls himself, I am. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is the, this is the centerpiece of the whole passage. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The one believing in me, even if he should die, he will live And everyone living and believing in me shall never die into the age. The age. That's a, that's a, that that Greek phrase into the age. It, yours may say forever or ever or whatever. It means into the age. Age is a measure of time. So we live in time. The almighty God lives outside and beyond that. He created time. But we are in time. And as long as there is the age, and there are many ages within the age, and it will never cease being because you will see there's still a measure of time, even in the new heaven and the new earth, when you study it in the Revelation. Fruits are given in months. 12 months a year, 12 different fruits. There's a measure of time. So God, he's, he's outfitted it so that we are always. He made it that way. When he came out of wherever he was into the creation that he created of time and space, he brought with him all that he is, which is life. If we are in Christ, we are alive. And so Christ here just dismisses the thought of death. He will live even if he dies, he lives. And everyone living and believing men shall never die into the age. Do you believe this? If you don't believe it, you're no worse than those Jews whom Christ said you will continue on in your sin. Horrible. Horrible thing to declare upon someone. 
Do you believe this? You cannot live without Christ. You would not have ever been born without Christ. There would be no planet Earth without Christ. There would be no time-space continuum without Christ. Great God the Son, in the will of the Father, created it out of from wherever he was. And immediately, the power of his life is what it is. I am the resurrection and the life to be in life. What Jesus is saying is those who believe in me, their lives are as secure and as eternal as existence itself, as creation itself. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Still has a good grip on theology as far as she could in her day. But what is not said here is, and we see it later on. We saw it just a minute ago. He's been dead four days. Decompo- decomposition, it's gotten, it's, it's taken him over. He's terribly spoiled. And nothing like what he was. So, somehow there's this little thing in her that says, well, you know, it's, Dead four days. I believe in the coming resurrection. Sometimes you and I get caught up in the same thing. We doubt Christ. Sometimes things may seem so mundane, we just don't even think about Christ having a part of it. Never, better never ever lose grip of the sovereignty of the Christ of God. Having said these things, she went away and secretly called her sister, Mary, saying, the the teacher has come and he calls you. Then when she heard, she rose up quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary quickly rose up and went out followed her having supposed she was going to the tomb that she might weep there. Now you you have to see the hand of God here. The sisters, his disciples, the massive crowd of the village trying to console her, now following her to the temple. So dozens and dozens, maybe scores and scores of people But it's along the place of the Jericho Road where thousands of people are headed into Jerusalem. Many of them would have been interested in what was happening. And perhaps they would have joined in. Maybe somebody was telling about, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He's in trouble. And there are a lot of people gathering around him. And people are crying. I don't know what's happening. So, you know, what what you're going to do? You're going to get out of your car and go over and see what's happening. Right? They followed her. 
She went that she might weep there. Okay, this is an important point here. That she might weep. She might weep. Classe from Cleo, Greek word. It means to grieve. To grieve in a fashion like you would grieve over the loss of a loved one. She's grieving. That's the word. So part of her grieving was weeping. And here we just call it weeping to, to describe what kind of grieving was happening with her. That she might, she can't control herself because her brother is dead. And I suppose compounded to that, only if Jesus had been here, he wouldn't have died. Christ would have healed him. He wouldn't have died. Therefore, Mary, when she came to where Jesus was, having seen him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, it gives you the idea that Mary and Martha have discussed this. We called him, but he hadn't come. We sent word. We sent an urgent message but he hasn't come. Then Lazarus died. Not just died, but he was dead four days. Four days. Where have you been? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now when Jesus saw her weeping, there's that word again, only it's there in another form. Uh, Clausen, Clausen, and the Jews having come with her was deeply moved and himself troubled in spirit. It's a precursor to the troubled of troubling of spirit that he will experience just a few days after this in the garden. Perhaps by now, hundreds of people, and they all are crying, they've heard the story. This was Lazarus, their only brother, and he's gone. And he left these two precious sisters. Everybody loves them. And more and more people begin to cry, and they all come with her weeping. So everybody's weeping. And now Jesus himself is moved. He's shaken. He's moved and troubled in spirit. He is our Savior. He is presently our great high priest. The book of Hebrews says, to paraphrase, he has experienced everything that we've experienced, but he experienced it without sin. He knows what it's like to be troubled in spirit over the loss of a loved one, a grieving family. He couldn't let the funeral procession pass by because this was the widow's only son. And he raised him up. But Lazarus has been dead four days, sealed in a tomb. All kinds of things would have taken over in his body 
and upon his body. He was deeply moved and himself troubled in spirit. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, come and see. Jesus wept. On the other side of that stone was his dear friend. In the throes of decomposition, the family, the friends, others who have joined up are beginning to have the sense of grief themselves. All that was going on, this is a different word here. It's a word from the Greek text. Uh, we were like, that's a strong word and it doesn't just involve weeping it in, it's an all encompassing word and here's what it means and I'll try to describe the emotion to you Sometimes, I'll use personal experience. I don't know what moved upon me. You know, you used to have these web, webbed kind of lawn furniture, kind of lightweight aluminum tubes and, and these webs. We had one that was this glider thing that could seat two or three people when I was a kid. You have the armrest like this and the seat here in the back here and I think I'm going to crawl through that armrest. I don't know why. What kind of a thought was that? My rear end got hung. I couldn't wiggle out of that thing for anything. I, I flipped and when I flipped the whole thing flipped over. Mother stepped out of the back door looked at me and started laughing. My sister Nancy was right behind her. She started laughing. I was angry. I turned purple. I was so angry, I was started, I was trying to hold, but I started crying. Give me a here. You know how you try to hold it back and you, I get me. That's one part of that word. Another part, I preached the funerals of both my mother and my father. My father's funeral, the pallbearers were bearing him out. Just there behind was the family. I only had one brother left then. He used to bring my mother here. You may remember him. He was kind of a cold guy. He just, you know, you're not going to get any grief kind of emotion out of him. He's just a man. This is the last time 
The casket was closed. We were headed to the hearse. I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm up ahead, but I just look back. And my brother was doing everything he could do, but he was, he couldn't help it. He was trying not to. But at some point you burst out and you can't help it. Another time, CO2 there had cut himself real bad. We took him to the hospital. He's a little kid. Man, it looked awful. It looked like hamburger meat coming out of his chin here. And so they came to him, and they were going to cover his face and have a hole there. I'm just, I just can't handle it, you know. And the nurse said, patting me, said, maybe you would prefer to wait outside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was suffering. That word includes anger, horrific grief. Suffering and a troubled spirit. It's all together in that word right there. It's a different word than's used of the other people weeping. Nobody else could weep over death like this than could Christ. The horror of the fall of man. The deadly effects of sin. The condition into which it puts our bodies and the grief that falls on all those whom we love. And he's the creator. He's God. And he felt everything and it was multiplied even more than what they felt. And Jesus wept. It's a word that tells us he tried not to, but he exploded in grief and crying and tears because they were his own. He knew them and they knew him. He knows me. If God attends every funeral of the most meaningless kind of bird that dies, he is with me in every emotion I experience. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not this man have, having opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man also from dying? Boy, are they about to get a show. Mm. But that's next time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God.
All power is His. He is the resurrection and the life. And He has extended that power to me because I am in Christ and He is my Savior. Maybe you're here today without Christ. I don't know. God knows. In just a moment, we'll dismiss from this room. And as you exit, there are a couple of rooms just outside. You'll see them as you go out. We have deacons and their wives there ready to talk to you about salvation, to pray with you. If God is calling you into his salvation today, maybe as a Christian, You are seeking membership in this church. You want to be a part of the fellowship of Shiloh. They're waiting there to pray with you and to talk to you about that. We'll handle all the details if that's what God wants in your life. Would you prayerfully stand all over this room? And we'll be dismissed from here. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of Christ. I thank you, O God, that my Savior is a loving Savior. And I thank you, Lord, for the day you called out to me. I thank you for that realm in which you wrote my name in that book. Thank you that you're coming again. And I thank you that you've given me the promise that I don't die. That my transition is immediate. And I thank you for that. And that in your coming again, you will raise my body up. I thank you, Lord, that the Christ has power over death. And that I have such a sympathetic high priest in heaven in my behalf. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll dismiss us in your love from here. And strengthen us in the way that we should go, that we might glorify you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.